Welcome to Out on a Limb, episode number two, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge. My name is Tim Enneking, and this is 4 p.m. on August 30th, 2022. Last week, during episode number one, we discussed Jackson Hole and the correlation between fiat and crypto and how they're interrelated. So now we've had Jackson Hole. We had one of the most famous or impactful eight-minute speeches in the history of finance, where Powell, who I think is actually doing a good job, essentially stated the obvious, that the Fed, the U.S. central bank, if you will, and other central banks, and if you look at the guest list, you'll see that there were eight uh, central bankers uh, that were present in addition to the uh, standard attendees of the various uh, Fed governors. Again, he stated the obvious. We are not going to stop fighting inflation until we start winning the fight against inflation. And so I, I listened to this. You knew it was coming. Everybody knew this was coming. And then the markets all took a huge dump. Crypto markets, fiat markets, virtually immediately afterwards, all uh, crashed, at least in the United States. As I mentioned earlier, Europe and Asia were closed, but they followed suit a little bit less than the U.S., but they followed suit when they next opened um, Sunday in the U.S. when Asia opened and then Monday very early morning when Europe opened. And so I was left, did not see this coming. I did not see such a big drop coming because, again, everyone knew what Powell was going to say. So if you look at what, what pundits are saying about this or if I may be so bold, other pundits are saying about this, the initial reaction was, okay, the world just wasn't paying attention before. The world wasn't taking, wasn't taking central banks and their stated effort to get inflation under control, wasn't taking it seriously. And, you know, my reaction is maybe, right? Maybe there's something about that or the people hadn't, people hadn't thought it through, traders hadn't thought it through, et cetera, et cetera. But I really have a tough time buying that. Uh, and also, it wasn't the, the fact that the statement was a little bit more hawkish because it was a little bit more emphatic, probably because all the central bankers had, had sat around the table and engaged in a little bit of groupthink, talking each other up to, to uh, fight inflation. And I thought about this for a while, and it didn't occur to me until actually late yesterday and early today what the real reason behind the drop may have been. And that actually wasn't even so much Powell's speech, but it was what's now becoming known as QT you know, the opposite of QE, quantitative tightening, because the Fed at the same time, or about the same time, announced that it would be reducing its balance sheet. Let's back up for a second and think about this. The Fed balance sheet went from about $1 trillion, trillion dollars, to $9 trillion in two years, all because of, of the COVID crisis. And other federal, uh, federal banks, central banks, did similar things, although obviously not on the same scale. Now, that put $8 trillion into the economy. And mo much of that was done with purchasing bonds. Much, some of that was done with stimulus. But essentially, the, federal bank, the, the central bank printed money, lent it to the United States, and the United States spent it. Well, now what's happening is that printed money is on the balance sheet. The, those, a debt is an asset. The asset is $9 trillion. The Fed is going to start taking that down. And actually, it has been taking it down. 
but it hasn't been selling the bonds, the debt that it purchased, whether it be U.S. debt or private debt. It's simply been letting it expire. And if, if the amount of debt that was expiring exceeded $45 billion, the U.S. bought some more debt. The Federal Reserve did. So now it said, all right, we're going to double that amount. And that means that there'll be $100 billion, round numbers, coming out of the economy every month for the foreseeable future, in effect. The estimate is that the Fed will drop its balance sheet by $1.5 trillion between now and the end of 2023. Now, the U.S. GDP is about $20 trillion, so that's sucking 15% of the of an amount equivalent to the GDP out of the economy in a year and a half, or almost exactly 1% a month since we're only effectively in September. That's a pretty dramatic reduction in money supply. M1 will go down, M2 will go down. Uh, there are going to have to be other buyers for the bonds uh, to the extent it's private debt and not government debt. That's a, a real sea change and perhaps that's what people were reacting to. We really don't. We really don't know. Um, and in, in all likelihood, there's not a single reason for that. But it doesn't matter. The markets that were open really, really plunged. Now, interestingly, this is on a Friday. So you have the weekend coming. Europe and Asia are closed. Crypto is running 24-7, as we discussed. So what happens to crypto? It was absolutely fascinating what happened uh, over the weekend because it collapses on, on Friday, still going down a little bit on Saturday. And I'm using generally uh, U.S. time for the, the time zones. You'll have to adjust it if you're someplace else. But during what is a usually a, a, a negative movement on Saturday, crypto hung in there. It stayed relatively flat. Yet, I was monitoring this a lot because I just the situation was quite dramatic in some ways. Futures were going down in the U.S., but crypto was hanging in there. Uh, and when I say crypto, I'm generally referring to BTC. And the interesting thing is, if you look at ETH, ETH was actually going up during this period of time. It was doing much, much better. Or it was doing better, I should say. And, and usually what happens on Saturday is crypto goes down. So you actually had what, compared to most Saturdays, was a relatively bullish trend going on while the markets were closed. And then you get another drop down because New York markets open, EST opens up, and immediately we get another huge move down, huge in percentage terms, uh, given relative movements in, in crypto. Used to be huge was 30% in a day. Now when I, when I say huge, I'm talking about 5%. So still a big move by almost, by almost any standard. So crypto goes down, and then you have the market, which uh, the U.S. market, which starts to move up just a little bit, move sideways, drift down a little bit, and crypto starts to march up again. So in this case, it's interesting because it's moving against the dynamic. It's like, okay, we've taken our hit and we'll, we'll move forward. Then the U.S. markets close and crypto moves up a bit again. Then Asia markets open and bam, crypto gets hammered one more time. BTC, which had fought its way up to 20,400, this time drops by almost 1,000 points to uh, just over 19.5. And now as we speak, or as I'm speaking, the uh, BTC is going back up. ETH, I'll get to that dynamic in a little while. It's generally following, but it's a bit more bullish. So here is a really dramatic example of where when the markets are open, crypto is bearish 
especially now, this year anyway, following the trend. When markets are closed, crypto starts living its own life. And at 20,000 compared to its high of nearly 70, we're pretty low and it starts to creep up. So the idea of correlation, and as I've explained to people since the last broadcast, I, I learned from these things as well. As the phrase goes, the best way to learn is to teach. And as I explain this stuff, different correlations and different links and different relationships pop into my head from this. So the, 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 the fact of the matter is you can only compare the, uh, calculate a correlation of two things whose markets are open. Now, that sounds sort of obvious, yet almost everybody on the planet who thinks about crypto compares it to fiat when you've got a five to one ratio in terms of, of how often crypto is open versus how, how long uh, most uh, fiat markets are open. So it was very interesting to see what was going on in this correlation. And at the end of the day, BTC ends up slightly better off than markets. And I think BTC is positioned to move up and crypto markets are, are, are positioned to move up even more. So let's go to ETH. The, the exact same dynamic took place with respect to ETH. It was up around 1700. It got crushed down to 1420. By the time you get to the second move down, when markets opened on, on Monday morning, and then you get the moves up. But in the, in the case of ETH, the moves up since the, the low over the weekend were much bigger on a percentage basis than the BTC moves were. So you have correlation, which is now about 39.6. That is, sorry, not correlation, dominance. Bitcoin dominance, so what percentage of the market Bitcoin represents, it's been as high as 85 well, it was 100% at the very beginning 10 years ago. But since then, it's really been at, from around a high of 85 to a low of 32. And right now, it's on the low end of the spectrum, which I think is healthy for crypto markets, at about 39.6. But it's gone down over the last couple of days because ETH has not suffered on these downward movements nearly as much. The reason for that is the merge, right? We have the shift from proof of work to proof of stake, an amazing technological tour de force. And that's going to happen sometime between September 10th and, and September 20th. As I explained, there's a specific numbered block that will determine when that happens. And as a result of that, it's buoying that movement, that hope is buoying ETH up more than most. So my the first limb that I will go out on here is related strictly to what we talked about last week. Buy on the rumors, sell on the news. I think ETH will be a quite positive. Uh, the movements will be quite positive until we probably have another 10 days, maybe two weeks left, and then people are going to try to front run a drop. And what you have in the meantime is you look at the trends, you have record right now, you have a record divergence between value of the options contracts on BTC and ETH compared to the underlying market cap. It's small. It's like 2% or 3%. So it sounds small in percentage terms, but those are both records. Uh, there have never been so many contracts as there are now relative to the price of BTC and ETH. That is a recipe for major volatility. In ETH's case, it's a lot. Some of it will be going up, but then people are going to start front running it. And some people will be doing it now. Hey, we've had a nice run up for, from the bottom when it looked like we might go through 12. We're up to 1,700. Some people are already cashing out because they're trying to front run the old aphorism, buying the rumor and selling the news. So what's going to happen going forward? From my perspective, you're going to have crypto markets that are generally up 
when New York is closed and track the markets when New York is open. So there's the, and the overall movement as a result will be generally up for crypto because when New York markets are closed, crypto is more bullish than not. The, so there's my, my limb in terms of where crypto is going. Going out on a limb in terms of fiat, the next major, the, the next major move will, of course, be the next interest rate hike. There, I definitely see 50 basis points in September, not 75 as some of the real hawks are talking about, not 25 as some of the doves and uh, the market seems, some people in the market are anticipating, although far fewer now since uh, Powell's eight minutes of fame uh, on Friday. The interesting thing there is not so much is it going to be 50 or not in September because uh, I'm convinced it's going to be, but what happens in October, November, and December, and when will the uh, interest rate hikes start to become interest rate cuts. And that's the other thing that perhaps spooked people with what Powell said. He said, look, we're going to reverse when we have to reverse. Now, that doesn't strike me as profound or novel, but the world seemed to think so. Some people had already been pricing in interest rate decreases in 2023. But from my perspective, that's just always been crazy optimistic. But the, the idea of interest rates being some sort of death knell is a bit crazed because we've had a lot of bull markets in history, some of the biggest bull markets in history, where interest rates were far higher than they even are today. Just give us reality and we'll deal with it. What is the interest rate level? Fine, if it's 5%, I know how to build my business. If it's 10%, I know how to build my business. If it's two, I can build it. But I don't want it to be two one day, 10 the next, and five the day after. So you're looking for some sort of continuity. In reality, Powell gave us some of that. So the, the news, the impact of what Powell said is by no means all, all negative, but it does mean there's not going to be a flip-flop in terms of raising interest rates. Uh, the Fed got it wrong, let's face it, with its transitory inflation. It's not about to make the same mistake again. So the last limb I'll go out on before we close for the day is an interesting statistical anomaly, or perhaps it's not an anomaly, and that is September has been the worst month for equities throughout the history of equities the last 120 years. Crypto, obviously much younger, at the most 12 years, 12 years old using BTC as a starting point. September has also been the worst month for BTC. So if I'm sitting and I'm looking to invest, this is the month to buy. You want to buy at a time of maximum fear, and September looks like it might indeed be that time. This is Out on a Limb. Speak with you next week.